sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Uh, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Uh, talking about the stakes are high. Uh, the vision for this year and we'll kind of intertwine that and be talking about that over the next uh, few weeks as I was sitting there listening to the song All Hail King Jesus. I just for a moment just kind of imagined myself around the throne of God and, and hearing and all the tribes and tongues and the nations uh, just worshiping, just, just letting it all out for their Savior. And I sit there for a moment and I thought, Lord, how many people will be around that throne because of me and what I've done for you? And then I want to ask you this question. If you knew right now that before this service was over, that Jesus was going to call us out of here or you were going to take your last breath, is there someone that you need to share the gospel with? Think about it. Is there somebody that you know that needs Jesus? Because we don't know when he may come back. We don't know when we may take our last breath. But we do know that the Bible tells us until that time we are to be about Father's business. So I want you to think with me this morning. We're going to be talking about the stakes are high. This passage of Scripture to me is a very compelling passage of Scripture. Uh, in Matthew 9, I want to read it, and then we'll just kind of see what all the Lord has for us this morning. I hope you came this morning expecting New year, new start, new heart. I mean, we have a great opportunity. So I hope you came in this morning praying God-sized prayers, believing God to do something great uh, this morning. So let's read. Verse 35 says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered or weary, scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is what Jesus said. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And God, the simple prayer of Jesus, that there would be laborers for the harvest. And God, our prayer has been, as we have thought about it, prayed about it, that in 2024, that God, we would be a part of that answered prayer. That God, Warren Community Church, would be those laborers in the harvest. God, that we would... Uh, 
lay aside every weight, every sin, every preference, every opinion. God will lay aside our hurt, our feelings. God, all for one reason, and that is to share the gospel with the lost and dying world around us. And so, God, I'm asking you this morning to start a great work, Lord, in the hearts. Lord, as we start a new year, God, that maybe there's believers in here today that just need a renewal. They need a revival in their own life. They need to just be refreshed. God, I pray that you set a fire, Lord, literally in the hearts of everybody in this room, God, that they would see people as you see them, God, and know that they are sheep without a shepherd. God, I'm going to pray boldly and pray that you absolutely make us uncomfortable and unravel us as a church over the souls of men. God, that we can't rest until we, Lord, know that we are doing everything that we possibly can do with what you've given us to see as many people saved. So God, I'm asking you to do, as Ephesians says, more than we could ever think or imagine. And God, I'm praying for laborers in the harvest. Lord, we thank you and believe you. And God, we want to be obedient in following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just thinking right here, you look over here to my right, your left, there's a banner that says evangelism. One of the very reasons that this church exists, one of the very things that God laid on Pastor Ken's heart and Miss Jan whenever they began to meet uh, with people about starting a church here in Fayette County, one of the very reasons that they felt like this church should exist was for the sole purpose of evangelism, missions, sharing the gospel with the people around us. That's why we're here. And so we have a responsibility and a privilege to carry that work on, uh, to continue in evangelism, to maybe refocus and maybe get a, a zeal like never before in evangelism. We've been given great mercy from God to fulfill a great, um, not just local, but global mission of God. I mean, you have to get excited to think that God would take just some simple people from Fayette County and allow us to make a difference around the world because of his name. He has called us, he's commissioned us, and he's even commanded us that that's what our role is. That is why we're still here, uh, is because of that. Uh, we should not rest. We should not be content until we know that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every people group has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to Matthew, it's when they hear it that Jesus returns. So wouldn't it be amazing for you to be the one who maybe shared the gospel with someone from a tribe, a tongue, or a nation, that last Gentile, as we say, that hears the gospel that prompts the father to lean over to the son and say, now go. We could be a part of that. That should excite us this morning. And so that's why we're here. That's, that's why we risk our lives. That's why we talk about leveraging our lives in everything that we have. It's so that we long for all men to be saved, that we look for Jesus to come, 
and that we live our lives for the gospel. So Matthew 9, 35 through 38 has always been that kind of, for me, that compelling passage of Scripture to know that our Lord and Savior, Jesus, was moved the way he was about this. And so in 2024, just thinking about the stakes are high, is we want to go all in. We want to use all of our time, our energy, our resources for for the purpose of seeing as many people brought to Jesus Christ that we possibly can. So as we pray, all of our efforts, resources, our ministries, our programs, everything that we do is done focusing through the lens of the gospel. And here's the thing, the evangelism is not just for the, quote, paid professionals. It is the unrelenting responsibility of every person that names Jesus as Lord. I love it when people come up to me and go, well, that's your job. No, that's my privilege. My job is dealing with some of... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's... No, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Say it, Brother Ken. Amen. He can say it. But the stakes are high. And I want to give you some statistics that I shared with the staff the other day and They're staggering, and they're overwhelming, but we have a really big, amazing God. The Joshua Project, if you don't know anything about it, is a a site that tracks and keeps up with uh, evangelism around the world. It's really the most up-to-date evangelism tool that, that you can have, and I invite you to look it up. The Joshua Project's got really great information, but it's the most up-to-date calendar population clock that we have and it says that there's 8.1 billion people in the world and you have this in your notes 3.4 billion of those people are considered unreached unreached is considered any village country tribe tongue people that are less than two percent evangelical The Joshua Project defines unreached like this. Unreached or least reached people is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this people group without without outside assistance. So there's 3.4 billion what we consider unreached. I would say that the number of lost people in the world would be significantly higher than that. That's just what we know to be unreached as they track these numbers. Paul Chitwood, the president of the International Mission Board, says that 157 people, 657,690 people worldwide die daily without Christ. If you multiply that times 365, and y'all can check my math. I never was good at math, so I'm sure there's some mistakes here. You'll get it. 57 million five hundred and fifty six thousand people will die and go to a literal hell in 2024 around the world while we are sitting here this morning 13,500 people will go into a Christless eternity I don't know what that does to you but that sure hurts me it burdens me. That's why I said the stakes are high. 
The United States has a population of 340 million people. Tennessee's population is 3.2 million. Dr. Randy Davis, the president of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, says that 66,000 people will die in Tennessee this year, 43,000 of those people being lost. That's 118 people per day in the state of Tennessee dying, not knowing Jesus as their personal Savior. In Fayette County, we're really blessed. 43,422 people with 28,224 considered unchurched and or lost. Stakes are high. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. And we know what needs to be done. We know how to advance the gospel. The question is not, what can we do? The question is, what will we do? If we understand truly what lies ahead for those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if we really, for one second, God could peel back hell and allow us just a glimpse of people that you probably have encountered in your lifetime and what they're going through at this moment, I can tell you we would not be sitting in here this morning. We would be going to everybody that we know that we believe is not saved, and we would be begging them. That's what the rich man did in Luke 15. When he got to hell, he begged. He said, please sin." Someone to my brothers. Please. He said, there's a great gulf fix between us, and it just can't happen. What would we do if we could really see what people are going through? Because it's real. It, it, it's, it's real. It's as real as you sitting in here this morning. And so the stakes are high. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, it lends itself, I believe, to be one of the most weighty, most burdensome Scriptures in, in, in the Bible about evangelism. One, because of the first thing, a great pandemic. If you notice what Jesus was doing, it says Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. So Jesus went to church and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every, what, sickness and every disease among the people. I just want to throw this out there. Jesus was busy, right? D Jesus wasn't sitting around going, hey, Father, you know everything, so you just send them to me. No, it says that he was going about to every city and village, and he was teaching, and he was preaching the gospel, and he was healing all the sickness and disease. And then verse 36 says, but when he saw the multitudes, so Jesus is doing a great thing. But when he saw the multitudes, the Bible says that he was moved with com com compassion. And so when you think about a great pandemic, we all know what that is. Just a couple of years ago, we've experienced it. So I wanted to see what the World Health Organization called a pandemic, and this is what they said. For a pandemic to be considered a pandemic, it must affect many people in many countries and many continents, according to the World Health Organization. 
So in order for an infection to be considered a pandemic, it has to affect millions of people all around the globe. Adam and Eve in the garden started a pandemic. It has infected every man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever taken a, taken a breath on this earth. It has infected them. It has reached not only to countries and continents, it has reached from thousands and thousands of years. It has affected families. It has infected generations. It is literally a massive pandemic. Sin devastates individuals, it destroys families, and it even diminishes nations. No one is excluded because the Bible says all have sinned. Sin's payment is death. Sin leads to shame, it leads to fear, and sin is no respecter of person. Sin causes guilt. And it's not the kind of guilt that like, hey, mom, I'm sorry I broke your picture frame. It's not that kind of guilt. It's the kind of guilt that leads to punishment. This guilt is, is, is what causes judgment and the consequences of that sin. And the punishment for that is eternal judgment and wrath from a holy God. It is eternal death and it is eternal damnation. The Bible says the soul that sins shall surely die. And so it leads to physical death, it leads to spiritual death, and ultimately it leads to eternal death. Now I want you to think about that. Physical death we understand. Spiritual death we can grasp. That's where, because of sin, we are separated from God. But eternal death. I don't care how much I've read the Bible and how much I've studied. That is devastating for me to think about. It is even harder to grasp. But nevertheless, it's real. That people that you and I have talked to, people on Facebook, people you have had dinner with, people that you've encountered along life's way are going to spend eternity separated from God in complete and total torment. People, not fiction, but real, everyday people. And the reality of hell should unravel us. People go there. People suffer. And people never have a chance to escape. They are eternally separated from God and never have a chance to be released. Their eternity is fixed. Hear that this morning. They are there. They are conscious. And their senses are in hyper mode. They smell, they feel, they hear, they see, they touch, and they remember. People that we know, 
This brought Jesus to anguish. The Bible says that when he saw them, he was moved with compassion. Paul, in Romans 9, says it like this. It says he had great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart, willing to be accursed so his people could be saved. That's how much it bothered Paul. Notice what happens in verse 36. First thing is, is he saw them. When he saw them. Now, I have been in ministry now for 20 years. I grew up in ministry. My dad has preached my whole life. Before he became a pastor, we, our family did evangelism. And we joke all the time about, oh, I got drugged to church. I literally was in church five out of seven nights a week. Maybe seven out of seven. I have seen a lot in my time. Early on, I experienced a lot of things. And I can say this from experience. That I believe the biggest problem we are facing in the 21st century church today is we don't see them. It says when he saw them, it moved him. In order to see them, we have to take the blinders off. In order to see them, we have to put away the distractions. In order to see them, we got to put aside our own feelings. In order to see them, we got to lay aside the conflict. In order to see them, we got to lay aside the things that come in and destroy the church. And it says, the Bible says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, the people perish. I don't think we lack vision. I think we have blurred vision. And I think the reason our vision is blurred is because we've created a bunch of crybabies in the American church. I believe we have created people that care more about their comfort, more about their consumer mentality, more about their own feelings than they do about a person literally dying and going and burning forever in a place called hell. Because you can't move with compassion unless you can what? See them. We would soon fight over our opinions and over our preference than we would fight over souls. We argue about versions. We argue about this music or that music. We argue about, well, that person didn't say hello to me this morning. We argue about all of those things, and yet people are dying today as we're sitting in here going to hell. And our vision is just blurred. What I'm saying is, is we're wasting a whole lot of time over controversial things that don't mean a hill of beans in eternity. People are dying. And Oswald J. Smith in a book called A Passion for Souls says this, real simple, controversy has never been profitable. Yet that is what we spend a majority of our time with in the church. It's controversial matters. But when we love Jesus more than these, that's what he asked Peter, we can't help but be driven to see and seek the lost, seeing them as Jesus did. 
So the first thing we got to do is pray that God will clear up our vision and that we can see people dying and going to hell. Because when we see them, we are then what? Moved with compassion. This word in the Greek is the strongest word for pity. It literally means, the root word means that it, it, is, it is pain in the inward parts. Gut-wrenching. We all understand what that pit in your stomach feels like. You maybe got a phone call that you didn't want to get, a diagnosis you didn't want. Maybe you heard about a tragedy that's taking place, and you get that kind of that, that pit, that, that pain in your stomach. It says, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Even though Jesus was doing some great things, when he looked across there and he saw the multitudes, it, 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 it hurt him deep in his inward parts. Have you ever kind of felt that, that pit in your stomach? I was just thinking this week about the different times that I have felt that pit. And one particular Friday, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I get a phone call when I pastored Grace Point in Whiteville. I get a phone call from one of our members. He called and he said, hey, I need you to meet me at the hospital. I said, okay. I said, what's going on? He said, man, it's not public knowledge yet. He said, but one of our members' son just died in a truck accident, and I need you to meet me at the hospital. So Tiffany and I get in the car, and we go up to the hospital. We meet the mom in the parking lot. She had no clue what she was about to walk into. The truck was a gravel truck that turned over, and the gravel caved the inside of the cab, and the son was trapped in there. And I kid you not, for the next three to possibly four hours, Tiffany and I sit in the corner of a hospital room watching that mom wipe blood off of her son's face, weeping and crying. And I had never felt such anguish in my life. It hurt. But then I sit here and I go, God, when's the last time I felt that kind of pity for a lost person? When's the last time I sit in anguish over the thought of somebody dying and going to hell? People I know, people you know, people you work with, people you share, possibly even a last name with. They're dying without Christ. That's why I said the stakes are high. And please hear my heart. We don't have time for trivial pursuits. We don't have time for controversial conversations. We not, cannot be consumed by our comfort. We cannot be satisfied being overfed followers who are rocked to sleep with consumer Christianity Sunday after Sunday and be more concerned about being keepers of the aquarium than fishers of men. Multitudes of people are perishing on our clock. There's a great pandemic. But that's not the biggest problem. There's a labor crisis. Look in verse 37. It says, Then he said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So Jesus turns this to an object lesson. And Dr. Greg House, our new 
Fayette Baptist Association director. He and I were talking this week about this message because I had asked him to, would he get me some statistics? And he shared something with me. He just recently finished his doctorate, and during his research, he did it on missional families and how families, if they share the gospel in the home and they make disciples in the home, that that automatically sends out laborers into the harvest. And so he was sharing that with me. He said, but here's the thing that really hurt me. He said, as I did my research, I came to the conclusion that 90 to 95% of people in the church will never share their faith or the gospel in their lifetime. Hear that. 90 to 95% of the people in the church will never share their gospel. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know what that does? At best, it leaves the work to 10% of the church. At worst, 5%. A labor crisis. You can check my math again. I'm not really good at math, but I think I did it right. In Fayette County alone, just hear these. In 2024, according to statistics, 43,000 people. 28,000, and I rounded it off because I probably got tongue-tied and said it wrong. 43,000 people live in Fayette County. 28,000 considered unchurched or lost. That leaves 15,000 churched. If his numbers are right, that's 750 people to reach 28,000. That's a 1 to 37 ratio. Let's narrow it down to Southern Baptist churches. There are 21 Southern Baptist churches in the Fayette Baptist Association. If you divide that 28,000 by 21, that gives us 1,333 people lost for each church to reach. If 5% of our average attendance shares the gospel in 24, that means that one person has to reach 116 people. But if the church as a whole would jump on board with evangelism, that means that one could reach four. See the difference? You see why the stakes are high? It's because people are dying and going to hell, and the laborers are few. I know there are several farmers in the room, and you can please, if I'm wrong, correct me afterwards. But I've never known a farmer that planted a seed and was satisfied with just planting the seed. That seed is planted for one purpose, and that is to harvest. And that farmer is willing to do everything in their reach to get the highest yield as possible. They, for the most part, stake it all for a high yield. They risk everything year after year to get the highest yield that they can. What a waste of time it would be if all they did was planted the seed, right? I mean, come on, farmers in the room. If you just went out and planted the seed and... Decided to go home and sit, let it happen if it happens. But I can take it further than that. It would be borderline insane to plant the seed, to cultivate the ground, to spray for weeds and insects, and to irrigate it and everything else it takes to bring a high yield. And then when it comes time to harvest, you drive your truck into the field and you watch day after day as the crop rots away. That would be insane. Yet that is exactly 
what the church does. Sunday after Sunday, we come and we sit. And we leave here filled with worship and the word. And 95% of us never go out into the harvest. And we watch people rot and go to hell. One of the saddest passages in all of Scripture is Jeremiah 8.20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Notice the pitiful contrast here. A plentiful harvest, a few workers. You would think it would be the other way around. You would think Jesus would say, man, I have got... All of these people who are just chomping at their bits to get out and share the gospel, but we can't find enough lost people because we're so zealous to go and reach them. We pride ourselves on going, man, we got the good news. We got the transforming word of Jesus Christ that can save anybody. It can deliver anybody. And yet we sit and we never go and do it, church. And if this is making you uncomfortable, you've got a lot of weeks left in 2024. I am just telling you that we have got to get busy. Jesus is literally saying, I've got people who are open their hearts are ready and they're willing to be saved, but I can't find anybody to even go out and share the gospel with them. That's what he's saying. Here's an indictment. According to Jesus' word, the world is more eager to hear the gospel than the church is to carry the gospel. We have bought the lie that, well, they don't want to hear it. Listen, I've been telling people about Jesus a long time now, and I have never had anybody tell me to shut up and leave. Now, I've had people disagree with me. I've had people simply say, hey, I'm not ready. But I have never had anybody tell me to shut up and leave. We've bought into the lie that they don't want to hear it, yet Jesus' word says they're, they're ready. George Barna says this. He puts this tragedy of lost people going to hell in terms of big, bigger, and biggest tragedy. He said this year 2.2 million people will die in America. Their passing will lead to months of grieving by tens of thousands of family members and friends. To them, the death of 2.2 million people will be a big tragedy. Now, only God knows how many of those people who die will end up in a state of eternal separation from Him. But research suggests that more than one million of those people will go to hell. And the eternal condemnation and the suffering of those million-plus people qualifies as a bigger tragedy than the act of dying. And an even more devastating aspect of this tragedy is that many of those people will be denied the opportunity to learn about the joy and comfort of God's eternal blessings because nobody, 
not family members, not friends, not church members, not work associates, not educators, politicians, or leisure time associates. Love them enough to introduce them to the living God. And the fact that millions of souls are in hell today could have been avoided. That sentence is the biggest tragedy of all. Is it a tragedy that people die and go to hell? I believe it is. The biggest tragedy is that we're not telling them. That's the biggest. So we've got to develop a culture of Christ-like service by sacrificing our time, our money, money, and our energy to reach lost people. We must have an attitude that says this. This is what Oswald J. Smith said. I would never want to reach out someday with a soft, uncalloused hand, a hand never dirtied by service, and shake the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. Yet 95% of the church is completely satisfied to have soft hands in heaven. He says this as well. The church will either evangelize or fossilize. The stakes are high. And then the last thing is there is an eternal obligation. Look in verse 38. He said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, first of all, we must pray. I want you to think about this one. It's rare to be in a church service where someone openly prays for more preachers, teachers, and workers. Right? We, preach for, we pray for lost people, which we should. We pray for this or that. But when's the last time we like had a prayer meeting going, God, please raise up preachers and warn. God, please raise up teachers and warn. God, send out missionaries for warn. Lord, we need workers. The reality is is the way we try to get workers is simply from announcements or outright manipulation. But we don't pray. We'll even wear out the few active people we have, shuffling them from one ministry to another before we just go to God and say, God, we need laborers. And I believe that's why the church is sick. I believe we don't follow the Lord's prescription. Pray right? Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers. Pray that God would raise up teachers and preachers and evangelists and missionaries. H.B. Charles says, after you have prayed, there's a lot that can be done to change the situation, but there is nothing that can be done to change the situation until you pray. Because prayer strengthens our hands and softens our heart. And hey, I don't care how much we plan. If God is not part of it, it will fail. So the first thing we have to do is we have to pray. pray prayer will make you usable to God. Prayer will have you in a posture of dependence before God. Prayer will change your perspective. Prayer will access the resources of God. Prayer will give you strength when you need it. Prayer will give you the compassion you need, and prayer will give you the wisdom that you need. Why is it that in the church the last resource is prayer? When it should be that we're like, God, in 2024, 
and Warren Community Church, Lord, we need laborers. We must pray, but then he says, we must go. What's the prayer? That God would what? Send forth laborers. And I love the word sin there, because in the Greek, it literally means to thrust. It's not like Jesus going, hey guys, man, if it works out for you, and you can fit it in your schedule, and you know time allows, and you got enough gas in your car, that like, there's a person down there that needs Jesus. No, it's like Jesus coming into the church and kicking every one of us out the door. On fire. For him. See, the church is too busy being a cruise ship instead of an aircraft carrier. We want our way. But an aircraft carrier, what does it do? An aircraft carrier don't fight the battle. It sends out the airplanes to fight the battle. We need to pray for some airplanes in Warren Community Church. But the 21st century church has reworded the prayer. Jesus says, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into the harvest. The 21st century church says, Pray that the Lord of the harvest would make us as comfortable as possible and send them to us if they need to be saved. God, if you just let that one broke down, messed up, sinful person walk in one community church, Lord, we're going to tell them about you. And God says, no, Mm-mm. send forth laborers. What's happened in the church is we've become professional seed sowers. I love talking to people. And listen, there, there's a time to sow, there's a time to reap, all of that. I, I, I know what it says. But a lot of times when you're talking to people about sharing the gospel or about harvest, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm just a seed sower. Jesus didn't pray for seed sowers. He prayed for laborers of the harvest. He, he, didn't, he didn't pray that we would have 200 people out sowing seed. And, and we need to share the gospel, don't get me wrong, but we have to think bigger than seed sowing and know that we can't see people saved. And we go with the expectation that if I share the gospel with them, the Holy Spirit's going to take that gospel and it's going to get into their heart. It's going to convict them that they're lost and in need of a Savior. And they're going to be saved and we're going to rejoice and heaven's going to rejoice and everybody's going to rejoice. But we just want to be seed sowers. I've never met a farmer... Correct me if I'm wrong. Who is satisfied in just planting the seed? Yet in the church we have traded seed sowing for harvesting. I've never met a farmer who says, I'm going to go pick this row of cotton and not this one. I don't like the way that row lays. I don't like the way it looks. I'm going to pick this side. Now, if I'm correct, you guys are going to pick everything and make sure you picked it clean. Right? No cotton left behind. We're going to go as much as we can. Jesus prayed for laborers. And I just simply say it this way. 
We just need to go pick a row. And we need to go work. Get in your row. Put your head down. Don't look to the left or the right. Clean that row. Get every piece of cotton. Get every lost person that's on that row. And when you get done with your row, put your sack down and go help your neighbor pick their row. Well, I ain't going to go help them because they Calvinists. I don't care. Well, I ain't going to go help them because they don't believe like I believe. Or they like that song and I don't like that song and the carpet at that place is green. No, pick a row and get to picking some cotton. I don't care if you drive a John Deere or an International. If you like Ford or Chevrolet, I don't care. And, and this was, and I may have shared this here before. If I have, if you haven't heard it, thank you. If you have, just entertain this. But I remember in the early 90s, tragedy struck Fayette County. Tragedy struck the farming community, the Montague family specifically. Tiffany and I were actually really good friends at the time with Jamie and Daryl Ashmore. And I remember the news of what happened to him and the tragedy, and it was in the middle of harvest. And we at that time lived on Feathers Chapel Road, and the Montague's farm was right down Feathers Chapel Road. And I'll never forget sitting out in the front yard. And I guarantee you, some of you farmers that are in here were part of it. I remember watching truck after tractor, after cotton picker, after combine, come down Feathers Chapel Road. They were green, they were blue, they were red, they were pulling trailers, they were all of that. Why? To go help that family get their harvest. Some farmers even put aside their crop to go help others. One of the most beautiful displays of community I've ever seen in my life. They went and they helped. Why? Because that crop was valuable to that family. How much more is a soul valuable to God? Why in the world are we fighting over stuff that does not matter? Why are we not linking arms and hitting the fields and cleaning every field for the harvest? Because every soul matters to Jesus Christ. So my vision for this church in 2024 is simple. We have to lay aside our differences. We have to lay aside our preferences and our feelings. This is more about more than gathering. It's about changing the world. I've learned that people don't just want to show up. They want to make a difference. So my challenge is pick a row and go to harvest. And when you complete yours, go help somebody else. Don't look around and go, Golly, I can't believe they only halfway through. They are so lazy and pathetic. And, man, they need to do something. They need a newer tractor. They need a bigger bat. No. We are laborers together in the work of the Lord. My prayer is, is that we'll link up with other churches and that we will absolutely go into the harvest together in Fayette County, in Shelby County, in Hardeman County, in Tennessee, in the United States, and beyond. 
Why? Because the stakes are high. Church, the, the, the stakes are high. So, in closing, I say this. Let's be a church where addicted people can find deliverance, where broken people can find healing. Let's be a church where deceived people can find truth and lonely people can find community. Let's be a church where needy people can find help, where sinful people can find forgiveness, and where troubled people can find refuge. The stakes are high. Let's just get busy doing the work of the Lord. So here's what I'm asking from you. I'm asking for a commitment. One, to pray. And that don't just mean personal prayer. I believe one of the things lacking in the church across America today is we do not have corporate designated times of prayer for lost people anymore. We're all too busy running here and there and everywhere else. There needs to be some time set aside where we come in here as a body of believers trusting that when we pray for Fayette County to be saved, that God's big enough to save Fayette County. I'm not satisfied with saying God just saved one. No, God saved the 28,000 people that need Jesus in Somerville. God let Warren be a part of the 55 million that are going to die without Jesus in the world. Lord, let us be the ones that puts a dent in the 118 people that are going to die in Tennessee every day without Jesus. We need to come together, pray together. So we're going to put some nights together. A focused prayer of what God can and will do. And pray big, man. God's big. We got these little wimpy prayers. Like, believe that if we pray for God to save Fett County, that he'll save Fett County. You have not because you what? Ask not. And so we pray. We're going to pray. Now, this is crazy in the church because we're imperfect people, but we're going to pray for unparalleled unity in 2024. And whenever we focus on lost people, whenever we fall in love with Jesus, I promise you, unity ain't far behind. Because our focus is no longer on this or that. It is on the thing that we're here for, and that is to see people saved. And so unparalleled unity. So we're going to pray. And then we're going to go. We're not going to pray that God will just send them here. We're going to put together things that they can come but we want to go. Jesus says, go out into the highways and the byways and what compelled them to come in. Right? I mean, there needs to be some compelling going on. There needs to be some folks that are zealous about getting people here. And to tell them out there about Jesus. You're like, well, I, I, I don't know what to say. Well, praise the Lord, you got two pastors that are willing to train you on what to say. I'll, I'll even sit in with you, and Brother Ken can teach the class. We're going to harvest. Locally, we got an opportunity. I'm meeting tomorrow with somebody about an opportunity in the, in the United States and then international. We got it. Whether you like it or not, Blue Oval's not going anywhere, so we're going to Blue Oval. We went, Brother Ken and I went, because we got an opportunity to start a Bible study over at the interstate, at the little church. And we went, we rode around, and we were looking for the RV parks where the workers are staying, and we couldn't find them. Two weeks later, I look in Somerville, and they done popped up right there in front of us. God's like, well, if you can't find them, they'll find you. <laughs> so now what? 
We need laborers. We need people that will go. We need people that will just jump in and say, what can I do? Where can I help? Everything that we do to be viewed through the lens of evangelism. If we do that, it will all take care of itself. Can you imagine, church? Now, worship, hey, worship has been great this morning. But I tell you what, you get about 75 born-again people up in here that just got saved, that they, they ain't been churched yet, you'll have church. They'll, they'll get in here and they'll sing. They don't care if it's out of tune. They don't, care what, they don't care what you think and what I think. All they know is they once were blind and now they see. They once was lost and now they're fine. I don't know who he is. I just know. Let's get them here. Everything. I say let's set some goals. You know, it's amazing in the church how you get criticized about numbers. Yet we'll track our spending and our giving, but why ain't we tracking souls? The giving and the spending is for the purpose of seeing souls saved, right? And so if we're going to track how we give and how we spend, we need to track on how many people are getting saved by the giving and spending. Let's set goals. I asked Brother Ken, I said, Ken, Brother Ken, what's the best year Warren's ever had in baptisms? And in 2003, if I'm correct, this church baptized 74 people. Hey, man, 777 people since its inception. Every year up until two years ago, Warren Community Church led the Fayette Baptist Association in baptisms, and that's one reward I, award I want to get back. I'm not in competition with churches, but I sure would like our name to be on the top of that. I don't think it's out of reach to ask God for a hundred more in 24. And I believe the great people of this church, I don't believe the statistics of Warren is 95%. I believe it's way less. I believe there are soul winners. I believe there are harvesters sitting in this room right now. Because I believe that God has answered the prayer of Jesus all those years ago right here through this church. So let's set some goals. Let's track them. We can start Bible studies. We can ramp up our serve ministry. The stakes are high. But please hear me. It'll take all of us all in all the time. So a commitment. A commitment to launch into a vision of evangelism unparalleled like anything we've ever seen before. Let's keep continuing to do what has been done, but let's shoot for big, God-sized numbers when it comes to salvations. If we're willing to take some risks, alter our lifestyles, and organize our church around taking the gospel from Fayette County to the ends of the earth, we will be the answered prayer that Jesus prayed on that day. And we can be harvesters of the souls of men. So Warren, the stakes are high. And I'm asking you simply just to commit to one solid year of sharing the gospel with this world.
We're going to have opportunities. We're going to share those opportunities. We're going to continue to talk about it. But we need you. Every member committed to one year of serving the Lord in an unparalleled way to share the gospel with as many people as we can to see as many souls rescued from the grips of Satan and the pits of hell. Jesus has done the work. Jesus has given us all the power and authority to continue on doing what he said he's going to do. We just need laborers for the harvest. So I'm not going to be shy this morning to tell you I've prayed that these altars be filled this morning with commitment. We had this thing in the church to say, well, you know, I wanted to go to the altar, but I didn't. And I don't know, you know, the altar's not, you know, it's not like it used to be. Can I tell you something? And I put, I've linked this together. I believe one of the reasons we don't see the power of God active in the church today the way they did 50 or 60 years ago rests right here. Because men and women used to come down to the altars together, and they would cry out together over lost people. And because God heard their cry, He sent forth laborers. And I'm not trying to manipulate you to come. I'm just saying I've prayed that you will. I prayed that all across this room this morning that there would be a commitment and a declaration publicly in front of the whole crowd that God, we're serious about souls at Warren. God, we want to do whatever is possible. And I pray one more prayer that's going to make you mad at me. I prayed that God would make us absolutely uncomfortable this year over souls. That if God lays somebody on your heart and you don't go, that you don't sleep. And I'm talking about me too. If Jesus were to come back right now, is there somebody that you know of that you need to share the gospel with? The stakes are high. So this morning, as we start a new year, let's find ourselves together at the altar going, God, we're ready. God, we're longing. God, we're going to put aside everything that stops us and besets us and the conflicts and the controversies. And God, we're going to run hard. We're going to run hard. For souls. So, Father, I'm just asking you to take the, the very, very minimal words of a very inadequate person just to share your gospel. But, God, I pray that you will take this word and you will use it in the hearts of everybody sitting in this room. And that, God, we will not only see them, but we will be moved with compassion, which moves us to action. God, that we just won't be a church that, that prays for lost people, we'll be a church that goes after lost people. And God, I'm asking you to start with me. Start with our staff, start with our trustees, start with our leaders. God, everybody in the room, Lord, I pray that you will just put in us a zeal and a boldness to share the gospel God, for the people that are dying without you. And God, even this morning, no greater way to start a service 
than to see harvest. So God, if there's a lost person here this morning that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that Lord, today, today in this moment, Lord, they would be saved. So God, we love you. We praise you. And God, we just want to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.